0: Today's scripture reading comes from James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Well, hello again. That was our uh, husband and wife combo uh, with the long coats. But uh, I, I was just, actually, John, man. You're, b- both John and Ujong, their voice is very clear, right? Uh, thank you so much, John, for that uh, mature prayer. And thank you for the reading, Wujong. Uh, well done, both of you. You will be asked to do that more frequently, I guess, from now on. <laughs> All right, uh, today's a standalone message. Uh, I will start a, a new sermon series soon, but I'm going to be giving a, a few standalone messages, standalone messages through Easter. Okay, um, uh, today <clears throat> today's message is based on James chapter five, and the title is patient endurance. And so we'll be reflecting together on the topic of patience. Okay. Now, I wonder how many of you uh, would be able to confidently say about yourself that patience is your greatest strength. Anyone, anyone? (laughs) Patience is your greatest strength? Probably not many. On the other hand, uh, how many of you have prayed this kind of prayer before? Dear God, I pray for patience and I want it right now. (laughs) I wanna be patient, Lord, but give it to me at this very moment, right now, I confess that I'm guilty of such an ungodly, impatient attitude. Right? My lack of patience is revealed even as I'm praying. I'm sure that many of you could relate. You know, I also wondered uh, what the appropriate length would be for a sermon on patience. I think the longest sermon I've ever preached was a 90-minute message given to my old youth group in Philly, All right? Poor teenagers. Uh, uh, don't worry, I won't be giving a, a long message today, just a you know, regular length one. And I, I uh, outlined it in three parts like I usually do. Okay, part one, the need for patience, part two, the nature of patience, and part three, the examples of patience, okay? So let's look at part one together, right? The need for patience. I believe it's really worth asking ourselves, okay, why is the act of being patient so important to God? Because honestly, most people I know, they complain and, and grumble through most of their lives, and they seem to be relatively okay, right? They seem to be doing fine, and so why should I be you know, call it to live patiently when others are doing the exact opposite and doing fine. Well, let me offer you two quick reasons for this, all right? Number one, patience at its core is essentially an expression of faith. That means that not to be patient, I think about what it looks like not to be patient, right? That means uh, that you're gonna be living with a grumbling spirit, right? A discontented heart. And what is that though? Well, that is really to possess a unbelieving heart. That's what that is. And James says here, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door, right? Why would he say this? And what would the people have thought of when they heard this sort of word given to them. Well, you know, the Jewish reader, they would have been able to recount their own history. They would have reached back into the Old Testament stories, for instance, and remembered how God sent venomous snakes to judge those who wouldn't stop complaining about life in the wilderness. That was a big part of their history, and they would have known that. It would immediately been able to, have been recalled in their minds. And in that story, See, no one actually said a word directly against God. They were complaining to Moses. Why have you, Moses, brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, was their complaint. There is no food, there is no water here. We loathe this miserable food you give us, was their complaint. That was a grumbling spirit. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. When you complain about life, and your life circumstances, you're essentially complaining to God who governs all of your life. And God knew exactly what was going on in the heart of his people, and Moses knew it as well, and that's why he was able to say to them, see, your grumbling is not against us leaders, not against we, us leaders, but it's against the Lord. And God says in Numbers 14, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? And so though they were complaining to Moses, God knew it really was a complaint to him as their God. And that is why, brothers and sisters, patience is such a big deal to God. Because when you grumble through life, you are disregarding the fact that God is the ultimate ruler and judge of all things. And he, he will one day right every wrong according to his sovereign purposes. His will will be done in his time. And when you grumble, you are denying that reality. To allow your hearts to grumble and complain means that you really don't believe in such a God or that you reject his authority to govern your life the way that pleases him, you see. The second reason why patience is so important to God is because patience is necessary if we are to bear spiritual fruit. If we wanna grow and mature in our faith, patience is a requirement, it's needed. James says in our passage today, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also then be patient. Right? So he gives this analogy of the farmer, He says, therefore be patient. Right? If you're a farmer, I'm not sure if anyone had any experience Growing up in the farm, probably not in Northern Virginia, right? If you have, great, you, you, you can relate to this, right? If you're a farmer, you have to patiently wait for several weeks, even months, for crops to be harvested. Right? It takes character to be a farmer in that way. Now, if you can't relate to that example, then how about this? We have a lot of moms and dads here, right? If you're a mom and dad, you have to wait patiently. You had to wait patiently for how many months? Nine months from conception to birth, that is not a short time, especially for the mom carrying around, you know, a baby in her tummy. It, it requires patience. You see, these, these principles of patience, they're built into the very fabric of life, so that we would know that patience does, in fact, produce good fruit in the end. Right, James is reminding us through this analogy of the farm that all of the trials we face in life are meant to produce some kind of spiritual fruit in the end. And of course, we call this process what? Sanctification, or growing in Christ-likeness. You see, James is saying to us this morning that if you want this fruit of godliness in your life, you cannot rush the process. You cannot rush spiritual growth. See, it's not only a physical law that farmers have to follow, it's a spiritual law as well. Growth in Christ happens gradually and slowly. It requires great patience. So again, if you complain and grumble through life because life is hard, and we all know life is hard, you're disrupting the process of growth. And by the time you hit 50, which I am now, and I struggle with this daily, like instead of Being a godly man or woman, you will become an angry and grumpy old man, or an angry, bitter old woman who no one wants to be around. Is that the future you want to have for yourself? So don't disrupt the process of your spiritual growth and maturity. So those are just two reasons why patience is very important to God and why patience is absolutely needed. Now, before we move on to the second part of the message, I I thought it would also be helpful for you to know what kind of hardships the author James had in mind when he was calling upon believers to practice patience. What was he thinking, in other words? Now, the short answer would be that as Pastor Andrew uh, mentioned in his call to worship earlier. Uh, if you miss that, that means you're what? You're late. Right? Don't be late to service. Okay. Uh, well, we're we're reminded, uh, as he says in chapter one, verse two, that what he has in mind is various trials. So count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, right? So various kinds of hardships is what he has in mind. He doesn't just single out here trials of the most extreme kinds, but he says trials of various kinds. That means this includes the the weekly grind of simply existing and living that we all experience on a week-to-week basis, but it also includes life-threatening illnesses and even death that we sometimes encounter around us, the small trials, but also the big trials that often shake us up. But I also have to say that James, he, he does narrow his focus a bit uh, when he comes to chapter five, and we know that by simply looking at what comes before the words, be patient, therefore. Okay, so if you have your Bibles open, just kind of take a look. Take, glance at the first uh, verses of chapter five. I'm going to read uh, from there, okay? If you have a smartphone, you can pull up your smartphone again. But just see what comes before the words, be patient, therefore. Um, And he, he uses very, very strong language to rebuke the rich and powerful of his day who are essentially abusing their wealth and exploiting those who are below them on the social ladder. Let me read that part for us. He speaks very prophetically here. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. My goodness, scary words. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and you will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. In other words, you've been unjust to your laborers. Verse 5, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. You see, it's in light of this kind of injustice and wrongdoing committed by the rich and powerful of his day that that James sees the need to call upon God's people to therefore be patient. See, all this, this corruption and this abuse is taking place, all this injustice is happening and it's affecting you. Therefore, be patient until the coming of the Lord, he says. Why? Well, what happens when God comes again? What happens when Jesus comes again? Well, when he comes again, what's the promise? He will make all things right, right? He will right all wrongs, and perfect justice will be administered, is the promise. And that's why he says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Very important word for us this morning, because I'm not sure about you, but I've, I've needed to remind myself of this reality so many times over the course of these past few years because as you know, there are some very powerful people and some very powerful entities in our world today. the people and the Organizations today are actually the most powerful people and organizations that have ever existed in all of human history, right? I mean, the, the rich and powerful in the first century, that they, <laughs> you cannot compare them to those who are living now and enjoying the abundance of wealth we have now. And as, as you know, I have a big problem when something gets too big, because, well, what's it saying? for those of you who attend membership class recently. Power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. That is so true. You see it every single day. And so I have a problem with big tech and their abuse. We've seen big pharma and their abuse over the past few years. These past few weeks, we've seen big banks and their malpractice and what leads to such malpractice, how it affects the regular folks. We see the abuse of big government entities that no one seems to be able to hold accountable. See, all of them wield way too much power, which has led to all sorts of abuse and corruption. And look, I don't want to be a 50-year-old grumpy old man. I really don't. (laughs) I fight against that grumpy old man every day. But see, the longer you live, the more corruption you see. And it's really hard to not get angry as you get older, which is why this kind of word is needed. We need to be reminded, as James calls, for patience in all of us. Look, it's of course good to do what you can to fight for just causes so that our culture and society would better reflect God's justice and mercy. I'm not asking you to be passive bystanders completely, but see, James's primary instruction for us this morning from this passage is this. Whenever something bad happens to you in this life, remain patient in the Lord. As you place your trust in him, in his wisdom, and in his sovereign purposes, you see. That, that is his primary concern, because he knows the human heart, right? God knows our hearts. God knows how we often grumble, complain, and we, anger wells up, and it corrupts our souls. Calling us to be patient. You know, if you, if you wanna know what the opposite of this looks like, All you need to do is watch a few episodes of the Korean drama called The Glory, okay? Now I don't know why they call it The Glory, right? Why not just glory? (laughs) But they call it The Glory. And I'll say a little more about that drama in the next part of our message, but I I, I haven't watched all of it yet, so I don't wanna say too much. I'm hoping to get more sermon illustrations out of it as I watch more and more. Uh, and also, I was told by Patrick Young not to spoil right, the, the series, so no, no spoilers uh, today. Uh, but it, it's a very well-written script, and so if you, if you want to watch a good K-drama, maybe that's something you should consider, okay? Um, part two, the nature of patience. Now, in the second part, I wanted to introduce some words that should help us better understand what patience would look like for us as believers. Now in this passage, there are three Greek words James uses to highlight different aspects of patience. And the first word is makrothumeo, okay? Uh, I hope I pronounced that correctly, you seminarians. Uh, My Greek is rusty. But this is simply translated as be patient. Okay, James says, be patient, macro through male. Right? And this, this word highlights for us the passive aspect of patience, right? The aspect of waiting. We need to wait upon the Lord. Our patience requires a willingness to wait, as frustrating as that may be. See, but passively waiting is not enough, actually, because you can passively wait for purely selfish reasons. So everyone you know, has been talking about this Korean drama titled The Glory, and so I, I decided to start watching it this past week, and I don't really watch that many Korean dramas, so it's not my thing, but if I, if I hear something well-written, I, I, I kind of check it out. Um, so I, I watched up to episode five. Okay, I, I'll, I'll be probably continuing today, later. Uh, see, but the amount of waiting, <laughs> that is, and if, you, if you've seen it, you know what I mean, right? The amount of waiting that is done by this main character who's played by now the old Song Hye-kyo. <laughs> uh, I, I remember her from like the when she was much younger and innocent. Now she plays this very dark figure. So I was like surprised. Wow. And she does a really good job with it, right? But the amount of waiting is just unmatched by this. I mean, you, you cannot outdo this character when it comes to waiting. And again, I, I won't include any major spoilers here, but see, waiting for a prolonged period of time, in and of itself, is not a virtue, right? Just, just watch, it, watch a few episodes, you'll know what I mean. Because it's possible to patiently wait for 20-plus years in order to plot revenge against those who wronged you in the past, but that's not the kind of patience James has in mind here, is it? Okay? Trust me, I'll, I'll try to come up with a better illustration next time, <laughs> But see, this, the kind of patience James has in mind is a patience rooted in the Lord's timing, right? In verse nine, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's not just any kind of waiting. It's, it's waiting knowing that, see, we are to wait for God's timing. We trust in the Lord's timing, which leads to the second word, sterizo, Sterizo. That word is translated as establish your hearts. See, it's not just a passive waiting. There's a little more active. You have have to actually establish your hearts in the coming of the Lord, in the Lord's timing. Sterizo means that you need to know where you stand in relationship to God and to what he's doing in this world. It's to know who your foundation is. And so for us Christians, it means that we are to establish our hearts in him and in no other. See, the opposite of that would be like to live as an as aimless wanderer with no foundation or think about someone who lives with the purpose of just pursuing his or her own selfish agenda. Let me show you just one line from the glory, okay? I, I, this is very memorable to me. Um, the main character, played by Song Hye-kyo, in one scene, she says this, in a very dark voice, <laughs> great, great acting. Do you know what's nice about not having a religion? You know where you're, sorry, you know where you're going when you die. That's what's nice about it. And of course, the answer is hell. And it's a very dark moment because essentially she uses that logic as a justification to exact revenge on all of her enemies, waiting for the right moment, plotting constantly. I know where I'm going. I'm going to hell, so it doesn't matter. I can do anything I want to now, right? Can't get worse than this. There's another word in our passage today. The word is hupomeno, meno, meno, which translates as remain steadfast or persevere. Right? This is even a more active side of patience, isn't it? Right? It's, it's more than standing firm or putting your foot down or anchoring yourself in the Lord. It's actually, it actually requires a continual walk with the Lord. Right? It's continuing to walk down that narrow path that leads to life, no matter what difficulties you face in this life that that takes a prolonged period that takes character brothers and sisters you know if you find yourself over time as you get older valuing good character such as steadfastness or faithfulness right a persevering spirit i believe that's one sign that you are maturing as a christian because when we were younger, right, remember when you were younger, guys, right? we, we noticed the flashy personality. Right? We valued talent and giftedness more than faithful character and steadfastness, you see. We like the shiny things in life, not the mundane, sort of routine things in life. But as you get older, I'm telling you, you begin to value more of the steadfast qualities you find in people. So, brothers and sisters, remain steadfast, right? Hupo meno in your relationships, in your marriages, in your jobs. Be patient. Establish your hearts in the Lord and in his timing. Amen? Many of you are still so young in the faith. You're like this spring bud ready to bloom, and you must not give up. Just because you had a difficult winter doesn't give you enough reason to give up, persevere, remain steadfast. Then you'll eventually see the Lord's purposes come to fruition. Don't miss out on that. Part three. There are some examples given to us here that James wants, wants us to reflect upon, okay? James mentions the examples of the Old Testament prophets and the example of Job. So let's, let's think about them for a moment together, okay? Number one, the Old Testament prophets. Here's what Hebrews chapter 11 says about them. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered, mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Right? They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Right? These are the great prophets of old. You see, they were, they were a few of the best people the world had to offer, and yet they were treated like scum. God wants us to think about them this morning. Think about their example, how they lived, how they responded to trial and suffering, hardship, unjust treatment. God tells Isaiah, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Try to put yourself in Isaiah's shoes. God is saying to Isaiah here, you will preach, but no one will ever truly, no one will ever truly understand you. You know how frustrating that would be for a preacher? For anybody? You you will speak words and no one's going to understand, get you. In the case of Jeremiah, most of you should know that he was, he is known to be the weeping prophet. He was the lamenting prophet. He was so discouraged by his work as a prophet (laughs) that he he loathed his own calling during some key moments in his life. He even said in, in Jeremiah 20, Oh Lord, you you deceive me. I become a laughing stock all the day. Everyone mocks me. That was one of his lowest points in his life. But he persevered. In the case of Hosea, God basically raised his prophet up and he used Hosea as like an example of someone who had to experience essentially what it meant to live, not just to live, but to marry a prostitute. And God was basically saying, I want you to know, Hosea, what my life is like with my people. And so you will marry a prostitute who will never be faithful to you. As you can see, the prophet's life was filled with trials of many kinds, but they were called to be patient. They were called to remain steadfast, and they did. You know, It was by the grace of God they did, but they did. And so as we look to their example, God is calling us to persevere as well. James also mentions Job as an example. For those of you who don't know the story, here's a quick summary, okay? Job was a very godly man. Uh, He had seven sons and three daughters, but he was also very wealthy. He was a very rich man, right? He owned 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys, and many servants. A godly, rich man. Then something tragic happens along the way. Job is going to see his life get destroyed and he's not going to know exactly why because God isn't going to tell him. Essentially, though, his beautiful children, all of his wealth, all that he owns is gradually stripped away. So he goes from being the wealthiest man in the world at the time to owning virtually nothing in the span of just a few days. He goes completely bankrupt. And on top of that, Satan attacks Job's health and boils break out all over his body, and we see Job sitting in ashes, scraping himself with pieces of broken pottery to alleviate his pain. Such a a sad life. And so who are husbands to count on during these times of great loss and sorrow? Usually the answer is their wives, but not, not Job, right, Job's wife was this ungodly, opportunistic woman who briefly enters the scene and tells Job that he should just die and curse God. Well, if your wife fails you, you can at least count on your close friends, right? At least that's what we hope, but not Job. His friends are like these first-year seminarians who think that they know everything when they really just know very little. And they come along and they, and, and they begin to question Job's character, because they've been sitting under some poor teaching, and they've come to believe that good things happen to good people, and bad things happen to bad people. And they try to apply that into Job's life. And so, since all these bad things are happening to you, Job, you must have sinned. What have you done wrong, Job? Right? Confess. (laughs) And the amazing thing is that in all of this, Job remained patient until the very end. And by the grace of God, he did, but he did. And so we're to look at Job's example and know that when we place our trust and hope in God, God can and he will enable us to persevere through whatever trials may come our way. A few years ago, I attended a denominational event and it was a really helpful uh, seminar that was being presented, so I sat in and it was offered by a Christian counselor and psychologist who had many years of experience. He was an older gentleman. He had a 28-year-old son who had a pretty severe mental disability. And uh, this this professor slash counselor was sharing a story of uh, when his family went on a cruise uh, ship and um, his son went into the bathroom and, he couldn't figure out how to unlock the door from inside and so he was stuck. He, was, he felt like he couldn't get out and so he panicked and he started shouting, get me out of here, right? Get me out of here, someone help. And the dad tried to calm him down and walk him through the few steps that he needed to take to get the door unlocked but it took his son at least 15 minutes to calm down and finally figure it out. And as soon as the son busted out of the bathroom, he clenched his fist at his own father, and he yelled, you, you don't do anything for me. <laughs> you can tell by the tone of this counselor's voice that it was such a disheartening moment. right? He was, he was being very vulnerable in front of all of us. And so when I heard, heard that response from his son, my heart sunk because I knew how much those words must have hurt him as a father. I was thinking about all the things I did for my kids at that very moment, you know? And how I would feel if one of them responded that way to me with such anger, with their fists in my face. You don't do anything for me. I don't think I would be angry at all, actually. I think I would be heartbroken, completely heartbroken. But then this counselor said, isn't this how we complain to God sometimes? Whenever we complain to God, aren't we essentially clenching our fists at Him, saying, You don't do anything for me? You know, sometimes you encounter unappreciative people. Right? You invest in them for countless hours, days, and sometimes even months and years. You pray with them, you pray for them, even when they don't realize it, right, you do your best to love them. I know many of you served on campus ministries, right, you know exactly what I'm saying. But in the end, they responded with, no one cares for me here. No one cares. You guys don't do anything for me. And you don't get angry, you just become heartbroken, right? So perhaps God is wanting us to realize Uh, This is sometimes the way we treat him. In in contrast, let's consider, brothers and sisters, the Lord's patience toward you and me. Uh, Consider the many areas that the Lord is being patient with you even now at this very moment. How has the Lord been patient with you this past week despite your disgruntled spirit? Remember, brothers and sisters, he endured our mocking voices. You are the king of kings. You're the son of God. If so, then come down from that tree. That was us. That's us even now sometimes, isn't it? Are you sure you're king? Then prove it to me by fixing my marriage or by getting me a new job. Why is the economy so bad? God, if you're truly king, do this for me. And we're just angry until something good happens. While the crowd hurled insults at him, while he was spat on and and mocked, remember that he remained patient and he endured the cross and secured our salvation. He was a beautiful savior. He was a gracious Lord and King. What kind of king does that? So brothers and sisters, as you look to Christ and consider the many things he has done for you, may you be given the grace to be thankful, to be thankful. I try to teach my kids all the time. <laughs> wake up, be thankful. There's even a sign, there's like a, a sign from Hobby Lobby in my, one of my kids' rooms, like a big sign. As soon as she wakes up, she's supposed to see that side. I told her, see this be thankful for every day because the Lord is good. And so may, may God give you the grace to be thankful and to be filled with joy rather than anger and complaints. Is there a trial that is hard for you to overcome? I'm sure there is. Maybe it's a relational trial. Maybe it's a fragile marriage a broken friendship. Maybe for some of you it's a it's a family member who's suffering. Maybe it's your own physical trial. Maybe your body's breaking down and you're depressed. For others, it may be that your job or career is not going the way you wish. But whatever it may be, brothers, sisters, this morning, let's consider who the Lord is. Consider his patience toward us. And if we do, I believe that we will be able to remain patient and endure by his grace. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, forgive us for our complaining hearts. Your word exposes the source of our complaints. It's a heart that ultimately does not trust in you. Forgive us, Lord, for our thanklessness, and help us to see you as our gracious God and sovereign king who is not bound by our personal timelines or desired schedules. As we look to Jesus who patiently endured the cross for us, give us grace to be patient and to remain steadfast with our hearts firmly anchored upon our loving Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Stand with me.